You're listening to the Horsefest podcast with the founders of Horsefest. I'm Thea. And hello, this is Heidi. Each podcast is dedicated to you and your passion for everything horse. We'll be speaking to elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests, all focused on bringing you inspiration, insights and learning in a way that our horse tribe will enjoy. Well, it's a warm welcome today to today's podcast for Executive Director of the British Equestrian Trade Association, Claire Williams. Claire, welcome. Thank you. Welcome too. Lovely to be here. Yes, lovely to speak with you. And we always like to start our podcast with a delve into our guests' horsey love. And when did it start uh, way back in the day? So when did it start for you, Claire? Well... I always loved horses, what girls didn't, um, but terribly non-horsey family. Um, youngest of five kids, horses were not on the agenda. Um, and so I didn't get to indulge myself in horseydom until I graduated from uni and was earning my own money. And that's when I took myself off to a riding school, started riding lessons at the grand old age of about 24. And... And really, it went from then. I went trekking every weekend to a place that would you believe used to have X racehorses, paces, and standard breeds. So I used to ride them through the forest. And then after about a year, I thought I need my own horse. So I launched myself into horse ownership. And after two rather disastrous attempts, my number three was the horse of really or horse of a lifetime. He was fab, um, and it went from there. Oh. I say trekking through the forest in New Zealand sounds pretty idyllic, actually. We were really lucky. We lo- I come from Christchurch, um, so by the sea. Uh, so summer, beach, five minutes away, winter, ski slopes, an hour and a half. Um, and the, we have huge plantations. And you could, if you wanted a long ride, ride out to the plantations go through the plantations then it would take you onto the beach and you could ride for miles up the beach and in retrospect now actually I didn't ride on the beach that often and you now kick yourself (laughs) and so you said you were riding paces um do they pace when you're riding them because that must be quite uncomfortable no it's really comfortable is it when they go into a trot they don't go up and down they go side to side yeah that would feel very weird a bit like a camel yeah it is but it is incredible (laughs) and they go like the clappers Wow. It, 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 and they, yeah, they were ex racehorses. So they really did go like the clappers. Oh, um, that's amazing. It was, it was amazing. It was really fun. Oh, Fantastic. Incredible. And so tell us a bit about your horse of a lifetime then. Would you believe his name was Legs? Um, because he was very big. He's an ex racehorse. Um, he only raced until he was about three because he had to grow into himself. For New Zealand, he was very big. So he was 17 2. Um, and he belonged to my one of my instructors who'd sold it to a young girl who was coming out of ponies. So she went from a 14-3 to a 17-2. It wasn't a good mix. She, she really stuck with him for about six months and then they needed to find another home for him. So after my two disastrous attempts, I got legs and he had vented up to quite a high level. And so when I took him on, 
Um, I hacked him out a lot and then went to venting and he looked after me. I, I, the first time I went around cross country, I came back and somebody said, you looked as though you were out for a Sunday hack. You were going so slowly, but he was brilliant. He was really just fantastic. So much fun. Um, hacking was brilliant and eventing was brilliant and he was quite good at dressage and he was really good showing. So he really was a horse for everything. Um, until really sadly he had an accident, um, sliced one of his hoofs uh, nearly off um, and after trying um, a my friend who was a vet said just don't do it so I did the right thing and um, lost him but he was just yeah, amazing, he was really good fun. Yeah, he sounds so, fab. He does sound <laughs> fab. It reminds me of Gemma Tattersall's bike um, X-Race horse that's amazing adventure as well. When you find the right one, you find the right one, don't you? They'll do he, anything. He was really kind. He was really kind. I mean, I'm lucky. All the, since then, I've been really lucky and, and all the horses have been great. Um, but I think because he was the first really special one and gave me so much confidence, he sort of sticks in the mind. And how about now? How do you get your horse fixed now? I very foolishly have two horses. I'm a big mare fan, actually, after legs. Um, he was my last gelding. And then I've only had mare since. Um, and so I now have a, a Lustano mare who's 10, who's a buckskin done, chocolate done, um, and a <laughs> part-bred Percheron mare um, called Lola, because she was a showgirl. Her mother was a circus horse. Oh, um, yeah, she was a circus horse and, and Lola came out of the circus at two because they were dissolving the circus and a friend bought her and turned her out to the field and had her backed. And then we, we had her for a couple of years to um, help us when we were backing some youngsters. And then I said, um, I don't actually want to give her back. Can I buy her? So I did. <laughs> and so I've got Lola and Mallow. It's Amarillo because Amarillo is Spanish for yellow. Oh, yeah, so they're both yeah, really, really good fun. Um, hacking, um, mainly a um, bit of dressage on Mallow. And I've actually, the first time in years, I actually launched into the air voluntarily and jumped Lola last weekend. So that's a long time coming. So we're oh, doing a bit more. Amazing. Where did you jump her at home? Yeah. 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 Oh, a very tiny jump. So a friend's granddaughter jumped her for me last year when I had an accident and couldn't ride for a bit. So she came over and um, we were having a few teething issues. So um, Jordina came and sorted her out for me and jumped and took a show jumping. So she can jump and she loves it, um, but I haven't really done it since. So I thought now was the right time. Good on you. How much do you get to ride? Uh, you've got a busy work um, life. Yeah, pretty busy work life. COVID, I think, for me last year just made me realise how important the horses were for my sanity. Um, and so I really do try to ride them. So I try to ride both of them at least four times a week. Um, so, you know, or so now work life balance has improved a bit. So if I try and I work at home one day a week. So it means that I can get out early doors and ride them both before work. Um, otherwise, I'm really lucky. I've got a friend who will bring them in in the evenings for me. So they're ready to, for me to tack up. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's I need them. So pretty, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, I've yeah three to four times a week. I'll be riding both of them. Brilliant. Yeah, Our horses kept, kept us totally sane during during lockdown. Absolutely. Didn't know what we've done without them, really. No, I, I just, you know, I, I, we're so lucky to have them, so lucky and privileged to, to have them to um, really just be that vent sometimes we need. 
um, yeah, to keep us on an even keel. So really lucky. I found a, a great quote, which we put on our social media yesterday, actually, that just really resonated that ponies are a childhood dream, but horses are an adult treasure. And they are an adult treasure. I treasure my time with them. Yeah, it's really good. I think maybe because I didn't get to have my horsey fix until I was an adult. I do find that um, people who start riding as an adult tend to become a bit more obsessed. (laughs) (laughs) You don't give it up easily. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. My other half really appreciates how important they are to me. Um, and so never quibbles when I say, no, I've got to ride, got to, got to ride or got to do, or, um, yeah, need, need to pet, need to pet my ponies. Oh yeah, definitely. Just patting ponies. <laughs> um, let, let's talk a bit about work. So we'll come on to talk about your role at Beta in just a minute, but, um, have you always worked in horse related careers? Has that been your, your career path? Mm-mm, no, absolutely not. No, um, I did a very useless degree at university, um, history and modern languages, so Russian and German, um, and then went to, went off to work for the Department of Trade and Industry as a business advisor, went on to specialise in export advice, and then um, one of my clients in New Zealand, uh, who was a sheepskin tannery, so I've worked in a sheepskin tannery, I know all about tanning sheep and finishing sheepskins, um, said what I like to to Germany and do market development for them and it was in the very early 90s after the wall had come down so Eastern Europe was opening up so off I went and um, packed my bags and went to work in Germany for them for two years Uh, 10 years later I was still there Um, and then I saw the beta job come up so but yeah so no absolutely no horsey background career-wise at all absolutely and and so what Moving to Germany, was that a bit of a change from the lovely countryside of New Zealand? Oh, it was lovely. I love Germany. Yeah. Um, yeah, still, I still fondly remember time there. I wouldn't bat an eyelid if I could go back there again. Um, yeah, it was lovely. And I was really lucky. I lived in North Germany. Um, so very horsey centre. Oldenburg, if you know your breeds, we had the Oldenburg breeding centre not far away. Um I, our offices were in Fechter, which again, um, big Hanoverian centre. Uh, so I had horses. I lived on a stud. Um, I had horses coming out of my ears to ride because in Germany, a lot of people would own horses and wouldn't ride them. So sharing was a, a very normal thing. So at one point, I think I had three horses in different yards and just to ride. So I competed there as well, dressage. Um, I'm not a great dressage rider I hasten to add but um, they were just grateful for anybody to ride them so yeah I loved it Um, big open spaces flat um, beautiful places to ride lots of woods and forests Um, riding school our our local riding club I had a horse at so they stabled 180 horses Um, at the time when honestly Heidi and Thea the horses had an awful life they were in tiny little boxes never got turned out the only time they came out of their box was to be ridden. Um, that was difficult. But then luckily I found some friends who had horses at home. And so I also rode theirs. Aww. So yeah, it was brilliant. Really, really lucky. And has that changed now in terms of how horses are kept in Germany? Yeah, very yeah. much. Yeah, like yeah very been. much. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, so now uh, horses, they have quite a lot of the yards that are built. They have like little paddocks. They call them paddocks. So they're like little um, runs. So the horse can walk from the stable out into fresh air 
and they have like corrals outside the stables turnout is a lot more common and um, so yeah no totally changed yeah I remember a friend of mine when I was at uni she was um lucky enough to have a horse and I was lucky enough to ride it for her now and again and she moved back over to Belgium where she was from and it was the same there so uh, I felt really sad that the horse was going to go from a lovely life living out and um to a, a stable for the unforeseeable but it's interesting because in other parts of the country so they have these wonderful systems where they call them um offenstall so basically they live outside and they have really sophisticated ones where the horses wear collars and it allows them to eat on a rotated basis so the horse goes up to where the feed is and then if it's the right horse and he hasn't had his portion for the day it automatically dispenses them oh wow and then they work through, yeah, they, so they have tremendously sophisticated, technologically advanced yards as well. So there's a real mix. Amazing. And then you ended up coming to the UK because of the beta job, presumably. Yeah, thanks to Horse and Hound, actually. Um, I answered, there was a, the beta job was advertised in Horse and Hound um, in 1999, just before the millennium. So I had to get back to work in case, you know, remember the millennium bug that was being <laughs> hit every computer in the world. Um, so I went back to New Zealand um, and before I went, my other half pressed this ad and he was living in the UK and I was living in Germany, pressed this ad in my hand and said, this sounds like you. Um, and so I dashed an application off on, I think, the 31st of December. And um, that's, they interviewed me and I got the job. Ah, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yes, <laughs> history. So, so tell us more about Peter and the work that you do there then. Oh gosh, so BETA is a trade association, so we have members who pay to be our members, and for that payment, they get some benefits, so they get discounted services um, that will help them run their business, but also they benefit from um, the work we do behind the scenes lobbying, so making certain that there's an environment in which businesses can run. Um, and they also look to us for help and advice. So sometimes I, I, I think a lot of my members think we're sort of a bit like an insurance policy. So when the chips are down, we're there to help them. So they all cashed in big time last year when COVID hit. Um, and that was really, really busy because during COVID, my job was very much to get all of the information coming out of government that would impact upon my members and then basically condense it down give them the bits that were really important that they needed to understand um, and then if there were issues help them get through those issues so one of my members who was a, a wholesaler um, the police had come in and closed his business down and said he wasn't allowed to trade um, they were wrong that wasn't what the guidance, government guidance was was all about and so I phoned the chief um, police commissioner for the West Midlands and said you shouldn't have shut him down and so after a day they went in and said yep no you're right shouldn't have and he reopened and so yeah my the job here is very much to help members solve problems um, we lobby we um, lobbied in the 90s the 80s and 90s to ensure that retailers still sell wormers um, we also do a lot of training, so giving our particularly retail members the skills they need to help them sell the appropriate product to riders, um, whether that be hats or body protectors or hivers. So we're very big on safety. It's probably what we're known most for because of the body protector standard that you see our, our logo on. But also we have a commercial side to the business and that helps fund the work we do in the trade association. And that is, uh, we have a monthly trade magazine called Equestrian Trade News, and which is independently edited. 
And we also run a trade fair called Beta International, which is the showcase for manufacturers, wholesalers and distributors to get their product onto the market and get it out to the retailers. So all of your lovely listeners can go out and shop to their heart's content. Well, that always sounds good, shopping. Um, now you've touched on there some of the topics that if, if we think about the end consumer and our audience, that the, the leisure rider, riders themselves, horse owners, there are a number of things that are really important to that end consumer. So what, what are some of the areas that you might highlight? So safety equipment mentioned and feed, et cetera. Tell us a bit more about those topics. Right. Well, on the safety side, obviously, we have the beta body protection standard so that's the, the basically the quality mark that goes on your body protectors which tells you if it's wearing the beta label then it's firstly tested to the appropriate standard but also we run ongoing quality checks on it so a manufacturer license to that scheme has to do annual retesting to make certain that the garment through its production continues to meet the standard because what a lot of people don't realize is that when a, a, a piece of PPA, so personal protective equipment, meets a standard, they have to test it to that standard, and then that's really potentially the last time it's tested. Once it goes onto the market, it doesn't have to be tested again, whereas if it's a part of a quality scheme, like the beta body protector standard or the kite mark on hats, then there is a responsibility to continue to ensure that the product meets those standards, because sometimes it could be raw material is faulty, so we've had an instance where a batch of foam was faulty and the, re the retesting caught it and stopped it entering the market or just manufacturing quality in factories. So we had a manufacturer in Asia whose factory manager had changed and their new factory manager thought it would be a jolly good idea to save money and reduce the amount of foam used in the garment. So instead of two layers, they'd use one layer. And that means it didn't meet the standard so that's why you have the quality so we also work with hats uh, we don't have a quality mark on hats but we input into the safety standards i convene um the, bizarrely perhaps after breakfast after brexit the um the european hat committee which has representatives from all countries in europe and we write and rewrite the hat standard. So currently we've just finished rewriting the European standard 1384, which you won't see on the market because it hasn't been harmonized. So um, we've all been putting work into that. So alongside me from the UK, we have um, representatives from Champion and Charles Owen, and then from other hat companies around Europe. And so we all sit and work together to create the best possible hat standard. We also work very much with feed. So we have a lot of feed members and most of them are a member of our NOPS certification scheme. NOPS stands for Naturally Occurring Prohibited Substances. And that scheme is all about reducing the risk of naturally occurring contaminants entering our horse feed that might then cause them to test positive during a dope test. And some of those substances are, are things that you will have in your tap room or feed room, such as coffee and chocolate. They contain um, banned substances, theobromine and caffeine, but you also have botanicals that might end up, um, something like this, and atropine or hyacine, something called jimson weed, or foxglove as digitalis. So they all contain banned substances. And so the scheme is all about helping our members reduce the risk of those occurring, and they might occur through human error. So somebody in a factory having 
chocolate or drinking coffee when they shouldn't be and some of it ending up in the feed or um, something that might pop up in a raw material. So, so we get a lot of sunflower out of sunflowers out of the south of France, which is a great source of protein and fiber. And there are certain weeds that grow in those crops that if they're not found will also cause a positive occurring. So we all work hard on, on the NOP side. And then we also have a certification scheme for feed, which is suitable for horses and ponies prone to gastric ulcers. And so those feeds can be identified by the beta egus sign on the bags. And they mean they've met the criteria for feed that will ensure that a horse's condition doesn't get worse. Um, it won't cure, but it will help the horse maintain its health status. And then excitingly, we're about to see the first products in our bedding NOP scheme. So we've also now written a scheme for bedding because a lot of the, the, the competition arena and racehorse trainers recognize NOPs and they know how good it is on feed. And they've been asking quite a few of our members, what about bedding? Can we be sure that bedding doesn't contain anything that might lead to a cont contamination? And so we've got our first companies currently just being audited and they will then be able to have the bedding NOP scheme on their products. I noticed that on your website and I thought, I'm sure that's new. It yes. is. And the other thing we've been doing is if we haven't been busy enough, is also writing a standard, an equestrian standard for air vests. There is no air vest standard for equestrian air vests. Um, so we are now writing one and we are a third of the way through. Uh, and so how, who are you bringing together for that? What's, what's the process? Again, that's a European committee. So it comes out of our body protector committee, which is the European standard 13158. So that standard is going to have three parts, one for body protectors, as you know it, one for um, air vests, and then one for hybrids, so air vests and body protectors combined. Um, and so that's a European committee, again, with um, some contribution from manufacturers here and we're all classed as experts um, and then we sit alongside rather a lot of Italian motorcycle air vest manufacturers. I was going to say I think most of the horse equine air vest technology comes from motorcyclists. They do there's a standard called 1621 part four and that's their air vest standard and so I spend a lot of my time in those committees getting and quite stroppy when the motorcycle vest manufacturers say well in 1621 and I'll say horses are not motorbikes and we do not fall off motorbikes the same way you would fall off a horse and this is an equestrian standard but but no we're making really good progress but that's an interesting point isn't it because um step one it was phenomenal to get air vests on the market at I mean, there's still a, a very considered purchase that, you you know, you need a reasonable amount of money for, but they became sort of within the realms of possibility. Step two, I'm here. Am I hearing right that you're going to look at something that not only is a consistent standard, but something that's more relevant to the equestrian, the way equestrians fall and, and that they're triggered? Yeah, very much so, because um, a lot of the the. A lot of the, the tests they do are very similar. But for example, when you look at um, lanyard length from a motorcycle, they're all standard because motorcycles are all pretty much the same size. 
But when you look at horses, you've got to cater for anything from a 13 hand up to an 18 hand. And so the distance you can fall before triggering the air can be different because if the lanyard's too long and you're on a pony, you'll have hit the ground before the lanyard goes off. And so it's also a matter of considering the types of accidents. So with motorcycles, you tend to have lots of shear. So you come off at speed and you're sliding across a surface. Whereas with horses, you can land flat, but also you can be kicked and air isn't great for pointed objects. And so that's why we'll always maintain that the best possible protection is that combination of a body protector and air because body protectors I always say it's like your um your seatbelt and your airbag in a car you'd never get into a car and not put your seatbelt on and that's your body protector and then your airbag is that added level of protection which doesn't always go off mm. so you have to have that sort of and it's the same with body protectors and, and air vests a body protectable it's it's a static type of protection it's always there as long as you put it on it's always there, whereas with an air vest, something has to trigger it to go off. And so the parameters for triggering it have to be met before it will work. Yeah, we, we're both firm believers in, we, we're both, don't we? Hacking. Yeah, we do. Um, most things, Heidi. Everything I do. <laughs> yeah. Dressage, show jumping, Doing even competing dressage. Yeah, or, yeah, always, always. I, um, I fell off in a dressage lesson and fractured a vertebrae, so... I have no belief that being in a school makes you any safer than being out on the road. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you, Heidi, because I wasn't always as religious about wearing body protectors until last year I came off Lola in the menage having a dressage lesson and broke my back. Ah, yeah. So Now, I was, I was actually wearing my body protector. So I thank God, because had I not been, I would have been a lot worse off. Gosh, yeah. Imagine. Well, don't imagine. It wouldn't be good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and actually, that, that kind of takes us interestingly into, we had a, a really good conversation with Dr. Di Fisher, who's your relatively new chief medical officer, about um, collecting the right sort of data and sharing that across organisations. Perhaps that is that something you can you can share with our audience today, a little bit more about that? Yeah, very much. I know it's the TARN database Di is very keen to develop because it's developed, it's the tool they use in the NHS for reporting um, accidents and injuries. And it's been great at gathering quite detailed information on things like motorcycle and cycle injuries, but it's actually not great at doing the equestrian. And that's what she's really keen to get them to change the questions so that they collect more relevant data on horse riding accidents. Um, because there's a lot that we don't know. Um, that is really key and a lot of people will end up in in hospital and the consultants won't know unless you get somebody like die won't know what questions they should be asking or they don't realize that when you're told horse riding they get you in quick I mean I've I've and I'm really lucky in a way bizarrely in Yorkshire for better or for worse we have quite a few horse riding accidents and so I had another I had an accident I sound very accident prone I'm really not <laughs> just when I managed to do them I did them quite dramatically um, and I had quite a nasty accident five years ago which involved a lot of stitches to patch this up and um, they as soon as they heard it was a horse riding accident they had me in within about three minutes um, so they were really really good but 
that's quite unusual. So that's really important. So that what actually we're doing, and we're launching it at Your Horse Live next month, is a new database uh, questionnaire to collect accident data. So if you have an accident and you fall off and bang your head or, or have some sort of injury, this is a tool whereby you can put all of that detail into this questionnaire and it will enable us to gather data which over time will help us improve equipment and help us understand the type of accidents people have, where they have them and what we can maybe do to reduce the severity of injuries when they happen. Fantastic. You've talked already quite a lot about the future. Is there anything else that our horse tribe would be interested in, do you think, that's coming up and that they can look out for, things that would be relevant yeah, to them? Yeah, the accident question is one, but also we've got the – we every year we do um, – our business awards, the Beta Business Awards, and a lot of them are trade awards, so the best trade supplier and the best sales rep, but we have two awards that are absolutely key that your tribe can nominate for, ah. and that's our Retailer of the Year. It's the Zebra Products Retailer of the Year, so we've got a great new sponsor for that, which is brilliant. Zebra is a, a wholesaler that puts a lot of brands you'll recognize on the market, like UVX Hats, um, and lots of saddlery and other pieces of tech. So it's they, you'll be able to nominate your favourite retailer and reward them for all the good service they've given you. And that then gets announced in the back end of March. And then we also have the feed helpline of the year. So yeah, a lot of us will call our, feeds, our feed manufacturers for advice on what to feed, when to feed. Um, and so this is your chance to nominate your feed helpline. That's fantastic. You know what? I didn't actually realise that the feed companies had helplines probably until about nine months ago. Really? Um, really, which is ridiculous. I've had horses <laughs> since I was about 11. <laughs> and, and what's brilliant about them is that people think, you know, if I phone X brand, they'll only tell me about their brand. They don't. They genuinely want to help you find the right feed. And so I've had helplines say, well, actually, we don't have something to help you so I'd go this to there so they really are great you know their concern is to make certain that especially these days when horse obesity is a real issue um to make certain you're not overfeeding and you're not over underfeeding but what you're giving your horse is the right thing yeah absolutely fantastic oh well we'll, we'll make sure we get those out on our social media so people can are aware mm. and need to vote um let's go back to horses again um, we're sure that you've got lots and lots of memorable moments as a rider um, and in and your career and not just memorable moments hopefully where you're falling off and hurting yourself um, but, but what stands out as your most memorable horsey moment oh I might have to give two go for it one was the first time I actually completed a one-day event that was the biggest buzz in the world that was amazing um, and the next one was I went off on a riding holiday um, one of my members actually is a holiday company, Unicorn Trails, and um, none of her staff were terribly dressage and she had a new holiday she wanted testing. So I said, oh, Mimi, I did have to pay, but I got, I got a good rate. So I went off to Portugal uh, to a dressage a farm that had Lusitano stallions, and I got to ride the most amazing Lusitano stallion. And... It was the first time I'd ever done flying changes, PF, passage, canter pirouettes. Quite frankly, I didn't know what I was doing, but they told me what buttons to press. 
and off he went. And I still really remember that. You know, it was a beautiful summer, not too hot. And I, on an outside arena, just playing and doing flying changes to my heart's content. It was just amazing. That oh, probably wow. really stands out. That sounds awesome. Really, really magical. Really. Although I got a little, I had a little adrenaline spike at the word stallion. Uh, you, you, I was Lusitana and I went, oh, stallion. Would that be a bit scary? Or no, okay? he was no, he was as quiet as a lamb. Honestly, you the way they train their horses, he was the least stallion stallion I've ever come across. And we were at the time we were riding three stallions in the same arena. Oh wow. That is it was, and, and the reason as well it really stands out is that I was really lucky um, that there was a the, the family had a son who was very keen on photography so he actually was there with my camera taking photos and short videos of me so I've still got it to look back on oh so nice it was Fabulous really memories. amazing and that's why I got mellow because after that trip I thought Lusitano is the breed for me um, a little bit in love with it as a I did I did <laughs> and I always wanted it done so when I saw a two-year-old done Lusitano fully come up I thought it was meant to be oh, oh, fantastic <laughs> so from horsey memorable moments to horsey funny moments we feel sure that you must have a funny story that you can tell us that's clean enough and doesn't um name names to protect yeah. the innocent yeah I thought there's lots of indiscretion so I'm not going to reveal um a couple well, a couple the time we, we quite often get called by media and we had a BBC producer call us one day asking for advice of what sort of riding hat you should wear when riding a camel oh that was a good one um and then the other one was, was um, we have um because we run a trade show at the time we used to have um prospectuses um in multi multilingual prospectuses so we used to get them translated into german and french and because i'm the resident german speaker i always get them to proof and so we got this catalog back and we have certain rules when you run a trade fair so certain things are allowed and obviously you have exhibitors paying money to come in so we have what's called a no touting rule which means that if you don't, if you're not a paid exhibitor, then you shouldn't come in and try and sell your wares unless you have a stand. So we have a no touting rule and we have lots of horsey words. And so we got the proof back um, and I, I started reading it and we got down to the no touting rule, which had been translated as no prostitution. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you have a rule of that too. But maybe you need to. And then I think the other ones, they obviously had no knowledge of horses. So equestrian had been translated as circus tricks. Oh, no. It was hilarious. So <laughs> I no quickly, circus tricks or no, prostitution. No, no, no. So I, I quickly phoned my French agent, who we had a French agent. And I said, You better read the French. And they'd done the same thing in the French. Oh, goodness. Oh, that so. <laughs> Thank goodness you found it. <laughs> mm, mm, very much so excellent um and we like to get uh relatable top tips we call them for our horse tribe as well from each of our guests because we we feel that there's just a wealth of amazing small tips that can be passed on um so, god yeah, what would you um i would always you i would say this minute don't take safety for granted be prepared if you've got the equipment then for god's sake put it down it's no good sitting in the tech room um and also always carry your phone when out hacking 
absolutely crucial. And do tell people where you're going and how long they think you'll be. I actually also now have a watch. It's an Apple watch, which um, when I fall off, it has a gyroscope in it. So, and I did a couple of months ago, I came off, landed hard. And what it does, it senses you landing. And if you don't get up within about 30 seconds, it beeps you and asks you if you're okay. And if you don't say, yes, I'm okay, it calls the emergency services. Oh, wow. wow. I've got You've enough got to enough watch. watch. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can. You can go and do the settings. I tell you what, it is just my other half knowing I have my Apple Watch on with my phone. It makes him feel a hell of a lot more comforted because he knows that if something goes wrong, then help will be on the way. That's amazing. Mm, really clever. Really, really clever. Wow. I need to look that one up for sure. <laughs> it's not yeah. all Apple watches. I think it's, but I didn't know it did it. I didn't know, I don't know, Heidi, but while I was back in New Zealand and somebody on a training course I was doing said, oh, this is what the latest Apple watch does. So mine had fallen to pieces and I hadn't had one for about six months. And so on the way home, I bought one duty free thinking, oh, yeah, need it's one. It's quite new. I'll look it up. It's quite yeah, new. no, you should. You should. Yeah, amazing. Oh, well, Claire, that's, that's a fabulous top tip. Um, but thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we've, we've really enjoyed chatting to you. There's you know, loads of information and loads of insight that's come, that's come through the conversations. And uh, finally, if you could, could you just tell our listeners where they can find out more about BETA and the campaign, campaigns that we've been talking about today? Yeah, they can go to our website. There is a probably too much information on it about everything and, and anything. And that's beta-uk.org. And you can find us on Facebook as Beta Equestrian and on Instagram as Beta underscore Equestrian. And we're also on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Yeah, likewise. Uh, every day is always school day. I really love the top tips because we always learn something. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I'm now going to look through your next year's beta trade kind of details just to see if you've been caught out on any prostitution. <laughs> I hope not. But watch out for the, we've got a beta calendar coming out. We run a photos, photo competition every year. So the new beta calendar's due out. And it's been lovely speaking with both. Really, really enjoyed it. Oh, you don't, thank you. Don't, don't often get able to indulge yourself in your horsey memory. So it's lovely. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks so much, Claire. We'll see you again soon. Hope thank so. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Horsefest podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, rate and review the podcast and share it with your horse tribe. Keep tuning in for more episodes with elite riders, equestrian experts and special guests.